Hello everyone and welcome back to the Little Egypt Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Hefferman, and with me today, and always, is Bucky Dent and Les Winkler, fresh from their St. Louis Blues Championship hangovers. Uh, Bucky uh, was... I their hangover, whatever <laughs> hangover... The, that people around here may not may be having is nowhere near what Brett Hall's been having, I promise you. He's probably still hungover. <laughs> They'll be hungover until the next season starts. Either one of you guys don't go to the parade? Uh, I did not. My One of my brothers was there. He reported that it was a good time. He remembered some of it. And uh, other other parts were a little foggy, I think. But uh, I, I think a good time was had by 99% of the people there. I saw a bunch of SIU's former athletes are from St. Louis, and a couple of them were there. Chase Allen was there. Um, they, uh, the, the pictures looked great. The, the, the overall picture by the arch was amazing, considering that uh, uh, Stan Kroenke said that that town could not support <laughs> a, a professional team in, in so many words. And, it, and, you, and you, when you think of St. Louis, honestly, you didn't really think about the Blues. You thought about the Rams or the Cardinals first. Uh, just because they had made some playoff runs, but never made it uh, to the Stanley Cup very much. But that was uh, that was exciting to watch, even from afar. For somebody who didn't have a dog in the fight, uh, I was really happy that they were able to pull it out. I did not think they'd win on on the road in Boston. I, I I had my doubts after the way Bucky and I talked about this after the way the game six ended with the Blues taking some kind of goonish penalties, which would which would indicate that their mental frame of mind, or their mental frame of mind is pretty redundant, but their frame of mind was, was not where it needed to be. But they came out focused in uh, Game 7, and uh, Jordan Bennington was just absolutely phenomenal in the first 10 minutes. And once they survived that, it was, if the, you know, if they, if they could uh, get a puck past Tuka uh, Rask, they, they probably had a, a pretty good shot, and that's that's the way it played out. The thing I saw right after Ryan O'Reilly's goal in Game 7 was a tweet that in the last seven Game 7s in a Stanley Cup final, the team that scored first never relinquished the lead. And yeah, I, I was that. I was watching the game in Bristol, Tennessee with my sister, her husband, and a friend of theirs who was a Bruins fan of all things. <laughs> and I remember telling him, the next two minutes are the most dangerous time for your team because if you let St. Louis get another goal, you're going to be in a whole lot of trouble. Sure enough, that's what happened. And you could see the rest of the game. The Bruins were so frantic trying to make plays they weren't capable of making, missing one-timers completely. You know, making wild, crazy passes. And that's the things you do when you get behind by two goals in a Game 7 situation and you know you have to win. You know, they played a frantic game and all the Blues had to do is all they did. Just be simple, just keep stupid things from happening, not take penalties, and they did all those things. Well, when when uh, Petrangelo scored that second goal, that gave them two goals on four shots. <laughs> and if that doesn't make you feel snake bit, no, nothing will. And... Uh, as I was watching the game with my wife, I just said, if the Blues close out these next two minutes, I think Petrangelo scored with 239 left, I believe, in, in the first period. If the Blues closed, closed out that last 239, uh, it was just going to be huge. And they, as Bucky said, they just, they just played good, solid defense from there and cashed in. But, but they, did, they did do a good job of keeping their foot on the pedal enough so that the, you know, it, it wasn't just uh, Bennington back there just taking shot after shot after shot. So uh, they, they played almost a perfect game seven after that first ten minutes. 
Les, what was it like to, to follow a team for so long and, and remember all the disappointments and then and finally see them break through uh, this year? It, it was really – it was so unexpected this year. I mean, they were awful early in the year. I mean, just brutal, god-awful early in the year. And then, uh, you know, they had that 11-game winning streak in, in uh, February and March. And, you know, you thought, okay, they can this can be a pretty good team. And, you know, as, as the playoffs wore on, well, they won the first round, and then they won the second. And you're like, geez, well, why not? Pretty soon pretty soon you're counting down. You know you got to win 16 games. Pretty soon, you know, it's like, okay, we got 13, just three more. <laughs> and uh, the, the thing that made me the happiest was after the game was over when uh, Petrangelo got the cup, and he skated over to Joe Bo- Jay Bowmeister and handed Bowmeister the cup. Bowmeister had played 1,200 regular season games and had never played in a Stanley Cup final game. To see a guy like him, to see a guy like uh, um, um, Alex Steen, Alexander Steen, who's a longtime Blues player and has kind of given his heart and soul to that franchise, to see those guys hoist the cup, that's, those are the two moments where my TV got blurry. You know, I don't think it was me. I think it was the TV got blurry at those moments. But uh, it was those, those those were the things. And, and going back to the parade for a second, I mean, it was pretty crazy. If you uh, had young kids watching, you were probably offended by some of the language. And uh, even I, I, I have been known to consume an alcoholic beverage from time to time. I thought the, the beer drinking was a little bit over the top. But... When you see Alex Petrangelo and people like that go into the stands and, and approach physically and, and mentally disabled people and let them hold the cup, and at one point Petrangelo handed the, uh, the cup to, to a young man in a wheelchair and pushed him down the street as part of the parade, uh, they earned my respect off the ice as much as they did on the ice. So. Yeah, they've, they've, they've handled everything in that regard. It, it's, just, it's just been almost perfect how they've handled it in terms of Making other people involved, making them feel like they were part of it, you know, you have to. And I'm not just not even talking about the the actions with Layla, you know, the young fan that they flew to Game Seven to let her hold the cup. That, you know, just the way that made the city feel like it was a part of pushing them over the top. I think that's why they earned the city's respect and love and admiration the way they did. And that's why you're going to see one hell of a celebration in October when they open the season. And by the way, the NHL is set to announce the schedule for next year tomorrow. Well, so, the, and the the thing about the parade too was that the players didn't stay in their vehicles. They walked down the street. They clapped hands with people. Mm-hmm. They were they were hugging old ladies and, and just doing you know like like Bucky said they just they couldn't have done anything else to endear themselves to the people. And I think that's what. I think that's what people will remember as much as the cup itself. Outstanding. Well, the uh, and then uh, you know they've there's there's a couple cities trying to trying to win our admiration. They're bidding for the <laughs> new IHSA uh, boys basketball and girls basketball state championships for 2021. Uh, that will all be on one weekend. I, I thought this was a cool idea. When I heard about it in the Chicago Sun Times, um, the chance to see the 1A championship the same day as the 4A championship—I think that's pretty cool. Um, where, where do you think it will land? Okay, let me say this first: If Peoria bids again, where if, do you think it'll land? If Peoria bids again, I, I would like to see it wind up. And this is no slap in the face at the fine city up north in Rockford that is apparently expressing interest in both boys and girls. 
I'd like to see it end up anywhere but Rockford. I think in Rockford, putting it in Rockford would be kind of a slap in the face to anything below, say, I don't know, Champaign, Springfield, whatever. It just make it too hard for for people to to go up there and invest five or six hours, potentially foul weather. And I just I just don't get. You know the the romance and having to put the thing all the way up in Rockford. I would like to see it. I, I like the sites where they are right now, but if say Champaign or Springfield were to get involved, I think that would be perfectly fine too. I think that's more central than putting it up near Rockford would be. I think it would tilt everything too far towards Chicago, and there are people that feel like Chicago gets a lot of the breaks anyway. So I I would like to see it as a central part of the state. I'd love for it to be go to Champaign. I, th- I think the State Farm Center is probably one of the nicer arenas. I think if you go to Chicago, you know, I think you're really doing a disservice to people geographically. Um, even though Chicago is 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 the mecca of basketball for for this state, um, to some degree, I- I'd like to see it go back to the University of Illinois. And, and it's it's centrally located. They put a lot of money into that arena. I think it would be fun to see the, the state championships there. I've been angry at the University of Illinois since 1976. I never want to see the state tournament there again. Um, I, although I will say that uh, the venue really doesn't mean that much to me as long as it's somewhere like Decatur, Springfield, uh, Peoria, Champaign, or Peoria. It's got to be one of those five or six cities right in the middle of the state just for geographical reasons. Uh, I don't buy the baloney that uh, – Every kid in Illinois doesn't gets gets cheated out of out of the ultimate state tournament experience by not playing at, at Illinois. I think that's crap. Um, I I think any kid who's playing in the state championship would be just as happy if he's playing in a in a hayloft or, or on a on an asphalt court if it's for the state championship. I don't buy it. Um, I I think that the um, the the big thing that whoever gets it. They, they they should have the fans, the players' best interests in mind and not one particular university or one particular city, but make it a, fran, a fan-friendly, uh, a very accessible thing for uh, for the fans, the, the players, and whatever. And, um, you know, I, I'm fine. From everything I've heard, Peoria has done a wonderful job. I, I think people are happy in Bloomington Normal. Champagne would do a good job. You know, uh, I, I just... I don't think that's as important as people make it out to be. And the other thing here is, too, uh, I'd like the idea of having all four classes in one setting. Love it. You know, I, I would get a kick out of just camping out on Press Row and wherever it is and watching four state championship games be played on that Saturday. I just don't think it needs to be geographically isolated. And you know the same people up around Chicago and Rockford that are pushing for this would be aghast if the IHSA <laughs> decided to put it at Banterra Center. Yeah. You know, the, the wailing that would come from up north uh, would, would, would just, uh, let's just say we could go on for hours about that, but they would have no idea with making, say, uh, some school from here travel five or six hours to go play the state championship game up there. Yeah, you know, like Zion Benton coming down here to Carbondale would be, uh, you know, you're talking about a trek. Uh, yeah. And I, and I I agree with Bucky. I think having the the four classes playing on the same weekend in the same venue is just. I, I don't think they could have done anything uh, better. I will be interested to see the details, the logistics of when the games are going to be played. The, the main reservations that area coaches had about it is that, you know, are we going to get the same? We don't want to play 
we don't want to play on Thursday and come back Friday if uh, if our opponent plays on Thursday and doesn't have to play till Saturday. Uh, and I, I totally understand that. You know, you, they want to make sure that all teams in the same classes have the same amount of rest. I get that. Yeah. And preparation time. Yeah. So yeah. The, so the logistics of that are, will be interesting, but uh, you know, just um, the the framework I think is outstanding. Yeah, I, th- I think I think it needs it. It deserves to have a chance to be played out. The one question is, just just make sure it's geographically fair for everybody, not just for, for for a few. Right. Well, we'll we see what that one, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see where Frank we'll Anderson see where it ends up. Later and send us a check while he's at it, right? <laughs> That's right. I imagine there'll be a lot of bids. I, I I'd be curious to see who does bid. If SIU does bid for it, I I just think we don't have the. I don't think we have the the framework here to I, handle that. I, I I don't see basketball here in Southern Illinois. I could see like. I could see like maybe one to one to three a football playoff games, or when we used to mm-hmm. have the state golf. It makes all the sense in the world to play the state golf tournament down here. Yeah, yeah better I weather. I agree. Quality courses. courses. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you got good courses around here. Yeah, There's no question about that. Yeah, I agree. Um, and the also uh, uh, college basketball, a lot going on, but the, they've changed the, a couple of the rules. The the first one being the three point line is going to move back a couple of inches. Um, a lot of coaches I've talked to don't think it's going to be that big a deal that that shooters shooters shoot and a lot of them were shooting over there anyway. Uh, I do think it'll it'll open up the lane a little bit because uh, you will be able to stretch the offense just a little bit, maybe five to ten percent. Um, because uh, the a lot of teams that are playing that pack line defense will stick with it. Uh, even if you have Jordan Barnes hit six or seven out there, right? Even St- even Stephen Curry uh, only made less than thirty eight percent from threes uh, from twenty eight feet. I think is what the stat was. So even the best shooters in the world, it, it's not a good shot statistically. Uh, the other thing is too, I think that extra what is it two feet twenty eighteen inches whatever. I think it's going to make a world of difference in allowing a lot of other stuff to happen. I think you're going to see. Guys suddenly discover the joys of the mid-range game, you know, because you're going to be able to beat guys off the dribble and have that 10 to 12 foot shot available a lot more often, or you can pass to somebody else. And they're not going to be able to hedge as much out front because now you got that extra space to defend between the three-point line and say the lane. I, I like what that's going to do in terms of the game. I think it's going to lead to a better flow. I think it's going to lead to better shots. And it's not going to be just four, four around one, four guys popping 23-footers all the time while one guy gets the ball every once in a while down inside. I hope it's not like that. There will be teams that do that. I, right. I, I, think, uh, I think a guy like Armand Fletcher would have benefited from this because uh, Armand was a, was a guy who had some really good post moves and could, could handle the ball. Like Bucky said, that extra foot, that extra 18 inches is going to create just enough space where people won't be able to clog up the lane, and uh, uh, your bigs are going to have to defend a little bit. I think a little bit farther out on the floor. That's that's going to be some inter- that's going to make for some interesting things. But just just open up the movement a little bit, just so that the inside isn't just so that the lane isn't a glorified wrestling uh, wrestling ring. Do you think it'll be markedly harder for teams to double down uh, if you're guarding somebody on the three point line? That extra foot. Will it be harder for them to to double somebody in the post uh, well, it'll, with that? It'll it'll be harder. It won't be impossible. I mean, possibly it'll be harder. I, mean, I wonder have, what that impact will be. If you have good enough athletes, if you're if you're one of the power five, if you're one of the blue bloods. You're going to have athletes that will be able 
to, to, to still be able to double down and make the guy have to throw the pass to the pass to, the, to make the, try to make the simplest pass to get the ball out there. He won't be able to see maybe one or two passes away like the good teams do. Well, and, and you know, it's, it's remarkable. Like even, even like watching the Salukis last year, uh, KV on Pippen, I mean, he was, he was so athletic that he would guard, you know, they would guard the, uh, the switch at the, at the top of the key and, you know, and they try to pass and boom, he'd be back there. So it, it will create a little extra space because you're going to have to go a little bit further out. But it's, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think the difference will be marked. But. Now, the, the thing that I know Todd's expressed some reservations about is the other rule change. Oh, the shot clock. Yes. Uh, yeah, this the this is one that I know clock. you're not real happy with because you have concerns about how it might end up impacting a game in terms of the table maybe missing something and not recycling the shot clock to 20 right away. I'm not familiar with exactly what controls these the people at the table have to reset the shot clock other than I, I assume it's just a button that they hit if they have a rebound. And now they've got to think in their head, okay, if it's an offensive rebound, and now they get 20 seconds instead of 30, which you know, I don't necessarily think it's unfair. I, I think it just is a dumb rule. I just think it's a dumb change to, to, for, to, to justify it by saying we have a, a pace, of, pace of play problem in college basketball is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Yeah, the pace, we, of pl- pace of play isn't the problem. We don't have a pace of play issue in college basketball. We have a have and have nots issue in college basketball. This is one of those issues where you say the people in charge, what the hell are you thinking? <laughs> Just let's let's give them something else to deal with uh, at the table. Well, That's what I don't like. One one of you talk to any coach, any coach at any level, and one of the keys that they will tell you is if we can hit the offensive glass, we're going to win the game. So it's one of the things you want to do. It's one of the things you stress. And what do you do? You penalize the teams who are good at it. It's the <laughs> stupidest damn thing I've ever heard in my uh, life. Yeah, it yeah, makes it a, no sense. It is a penalty. When the Salukis, when the Salukis had their good teams in, in the uh, early 2000s, they were a pretty good offensive rebounding team. They would frequently hold the ball, for, and this is where their pace, place of play fantasy comes in. The Salukis would, would grab a rebound or two, and they could take a minute or two off the clock. Well, what's wrong with that if you're good enough to do it? Uh, and the, I, and I the other team just allows you to do it. I, yeah, I know. I, I just, I just don't understand it. It's the dumbest thing I have ever heard in my life. Plus, you're sitting there with two buttons, twenty, thirty. It's going to get screwed up. We're going to be watching, we're going to be watching video replays, and it's stupid. <laughs> my, more monitor time for John Higgins is what it's going to amount <laughs> yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean are they going to, are they going to stop? They're, are they going to? And other stop than Chris it? Case, if, who's going to get excited situation? about watching John Higgins at the monitor for thirty minutes a game? <laughs> I mean, they they have enough trouble. You know, they need oh. to figure out. They need to just rule that say if you if you have a shot clock violation, and the other team gets the rebound, you just play on, and that they need That's to change the, yeah, that rule. Uh, yeah, I they mean, need to change that rule. I think if you get twenty offensive rebounds, they should just declare you the winner. Uh-huh. <laughs> some some, and we've had. And I saw you had some games where they gave up. I think Kentucky had twenty eighteen or twenty four by these. Potentially by by this premise, who's going to get hurt by that? A team like Kentucky that's traditionally a strong offensive rebounding team. North Carolina, which is a strong offensive rebounding team traditionally. Schools like that are going to get hurt potentially by this rule to where you reset the 20. But isn't it fair to say that teams that are good, when you get the offensive rebound, seven out of ten times you're putting it right back up, are you not? Well, it depends on the time and situation. 
Early in the game, yeah, you're going to do that. If you got a five-point lead with five minutes left. Maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. All right. It depends if the shot's there. If the shot's right there, you're going to do it. But if, but if you're walled off, yeah, you're going to cycle it back and try to run another, you know, run your offense over again. So we'll see how it, how it plays out there. It will start this season. Uh, we'll get a good look at it, um, you know, during the uh, – not obviously during the closed scrimmages, but but maybe at practice uh, we'll is, be able to see it. It should be marked off is, pretty is, soon. It's, it's for it's for the women's game too. No, the women's line is staying. No, no, no. I, I mean where the, it the, is the offensive rebound rule. I' not sure about that. That's a I good question. Seen, I haven't seen an indication it's going to change for the women's game. Okay. Yeah, I think it's I think it's just men's basketball. And, and, and while we're at it, they should think about going to the quarter system too for men's basketball. I agree. I agree. But uh, it's a quicker game. It is. And and moving on, SIU's last uh, last coach opening is uh, is the baseball coach uh, Ken Henderson is uh, is no longer the baseball coach since the last time we recorded a podcast. Um, they parted ways. They 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 worded it. Um, Hendu was in the last year of his contract, I believe, or maybe he had one more year left. Um, you know, the program just was kind of, I just thought it was kind of stagnant. I, I, I didn't think they were competing with the best teams uh, consistently. Now, they had a number of injuries this year, but I didn't, they also he also said that it was the most complete team they ever had, which I knew wasn't true. And they, they missed their number one starter for most of the year. Um, so I do feel do feel for Hendu there, but I, I I think it's a good jolt, a good a good kick in the kick in the butt for the program. We'll, we'll see who they hire. They're going to get somebody with with Midwestern ties more more often than not. Um, somebody familiar with the valley, maybe not in the valley, but familiar with the valley. And uh, this is a challenging job, though. This is a challenging job because the facility is okay. It's not great when you compare. It to Hammonds Field at Missouri State or Dallas Baptist Field, Illinois State and Indiana State both have better facilities than SIU's. But you do get the Valley Conference uh, baseball tournament this year. Carbondale is a different area than Normal and Dallas and Springfield. It's a challenging job, but it's one that I think you can win at if you get the right person. Oh, I, you know, SIU has proven that in the past that they can win. And base, baseball is a little bit different game. It's it's such a uh, – there's more player movement in baseball than, than in any of the other college games. I mean, you do have some uh, – at, at the Power Five conferences, you have some one-and-dones in basketball. But but baseball, there's – with guys getting drafted or whatever, you do have a lot more movement. Yeah. I, and I, I felt bad for Hindu this year. I mean, Brad Harrison was, was putting together a terrific year, I, you know, and, and – I don't think you see that Long Valley losing streak if Harrison pitches on Friday nights like you had. And, you know, sometimes winning can get contagious. And I'm just not a fire-the-coach guy. I like Hindu personally. I We had some long, interesting talks about baseball philosophy. And, you know, again, it's hard You know, it's hard to argue about making making the move with several losing years in a row. But that's one that's one I kind of hated to see. Yeah, I think stagnant was a good way to describe things. Um, the other thing I noticed was watching a few games there this year, some some midweek games, a couple conference games. The pitching just wasn't good enough. You know, they 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 made a lot. There was a lot of talk about. Well, we've got I don't know how many guys they said three, four, five. We feel could be weekend starters in our league. 
and you'd see them go out there and they get raked pretty consistently regardless of who they're playing and that just didn't ring true so I, I think whoever comes in needs to find some way to upgrade the starting pitching to a point where you can throw you can feel comfortable with one two or three in a valley series or your conference tournament for that matter and then figure out everything else from there and that's the tricky thing how do you do it when you have to parcel out so many scholarships among so many players that's the thing that I think the next coach has to bring in you know you mentioned you mentioned the midweek games and uh, I'm really unhappy the way midweek baseball has kind of unfolded it's almost like a, it's almost like an exhibition game you know, you're, you you probably your starter's going to throw maybe three or four innings. You're not looking for that guy to, you know, it's they just run so many people in and out. It, it just kind of loses, and I and it's not an SIU thing. It's it's everybody. It, it, it's everybody, and it just I don't know. It, it it's just kind of frustrating to cover it because I, I don't know. I just I just feel like I'm not covering a real game a lot of times because there's just so much. So it's almost like a roll of the dice a lot of right. times. Yeah, I would say I would say the SIU's done a pretty good job of of, of developing a fourth starter the last couple of years that could go on like a Tuesday, but they had so many injuries on the weekend they would have to pull that person. They would have to have like a bullpen day, what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Usually that was on a Wednesday if they had two midweeks. Sometimes they had three midweeks before they got to Friday. And that and that shouldn't you shouldn't do that. But but I I, I believe what what Les is saying for the Wednesday games. If they had a Tuesday Wednesday, that Wednesday game sometimes turned into a seventeen to fifteen shootout yeah, just, between two teams that were not good offensively, just because the pitching was so worn out and they didn't want to waste the people that they had that was for the more important series. And I I do like the I do like the uh, the direction um, the. Uh, Maybe direction is the wrong word. The philosophy that the Slookies played with the last couple of years, where they kind of eschewed having the the big sluggers and went back to to running the bases like crazy and and uh, relying on solid defense. It was they they were fun games to watch by and large. I would say that too, but and I, I understood that he wanted to do that to play to the park. But I I think to win the valley, you got to have some big boppers in the middle, and and I think that's one thing that that Hendu and his staff failed to get was a big home run hitter or a couple home run hitters in the middle of that lineup that everybody else in the Valley seemed to have. Yeah, and, you know, as, as well, as good as it is to tailor your team to your park, it's like you were saying, you still have to have ways to win games in other ballparks that don't necessarily favor your style of play, which is when maybe you need to have that big number three or number four guy to powder a, a three-run bomb here and there. You know, because there's going to be times in a game when you're down by two or three runs, you maybe aren't able to run quite the way you'd like to or manufacture runs. So, yeah, let the big guy eat in the middle of the order. That's something else I think the next coach can look at. And the running game certainly was fun to watch. It did throw people off with the way they played, the way they put pressure on defenses. They they scored a number of runs with an error at third base or an error thrown in the center field. You know, you'd, see, you'd see a single stolen base and a uh, throwing error. Guy goes to third, and then, like you said, they score on a pass ball. So, I mean, you can there, there's a lot of things you can do with you when you have that kind of speed. I, and I understand you have to have guys to hit the occasional home run and then slam it in the gap. But I, I do like... I'm I'm of the philosophy that if I have a if I have the option of speed or power, I, I, I'm probably gonna go with speed more often than not because it just does more things for you. 
You mean launch angle does not excite you? I'll go with the, I'll go with the power. Thank huh? you. I'll take the power and well, score, the scoring, scoring in one hit. Well, but, but, but what the other side of that coin is if you've got speed, a lot of those guys are normally pretty good defenders too. Right, right. So. They at least can get themselves to the ball to try right. to make a play on it. Exactly. Just ask Earl Weaver about team speed. <laughs> that clip from YouTube. That's <laughs> a whole clip of Earl Weaver. Uh, doing a fake pregame show with uh, some words that we can't really mention <laughs> on here, where someone asked him about speed, team speed, and then a whole bunch of bleeps and fleas. <laughs> Talking about little fleas getting thrown out in the bases. You got big guys behind them that can hit the ball over the fence, and they're bleepity bleeping getting thrown out. So, <laughs> but it, it's more fun. To watch. Well, we'll see who who, uh, who Jerry and his staff come up with uh, to lead the baseball team into uh, the 2020 season. Um, but uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll be back a little bit more, not too regularly necessarily this summertime, but we'll be back, try to be back once a week uh, going back the rest of the summer. Thanks for joining us. Uh, to subscribe to the Southern uh, Illinoisan, please uh, go to thesouthern.com or call 618-529-5454. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>